All right, glad you're with us. 188 days till you are the ultimate jury. You get to decide uh, the future of this country. We are at a tipping point and uh, a lot at stake. Reagan said we are but one generation. Freedom is one generation away from extinction. By the way, all of this is on the line. New Green Deal, free market capitalism that has created more wealth, more prosperity has been we have literally built a system of governance where the individual brilliance of every citizen can be brought to the forefront. And not only do we never abuse our power, well, we have at times, we're not a perfect country uh, in this sense, but what do we really do with our power? We accumulate it and we advance the entire world human condition time and time again. And we're even getting there now, and we will get to that. Uh, We have a a medical update we're going to get to today with Dr. Oz. Hope, I'll explain in a minute. Bill O'Reilly is here today. The I believers are nowhere to be found. What a shock. The very same people, we will compare and contrast what they said in the Kavanaugh case and what they're not saying or not being asked now because it is breathtaking hypocrisy. Um, I got a, this is really cool. I told you about the, the nail salon image that was sent to me where there's like a, a plexiglass barrier where it's almost six feet of social distancing that separates the, the, the worker from the person that's giving the manicure from the person that's getting the manicure. And what happens, they have this huge plexiglass. Both people are in masks and they have a little slot open, like a bank slot, where you can pass, uh, uh, pass uh, cash through. And the person will get the, the manicure. Not me, but others that like that sort of thing. I've never gotten one, never will. We've discussed that at length on this program. But anyway, it intrigued me. And we asked Dr. Oz about it yesterday. In terms of, because I didn't think, I don't know, I wasn't thinking creatively. Maybe that can work if everybody's in a mask If the standard is that New York would have starved to death, but for the people that stock the shelves, then if everybody's in a mask and you have the social distancing and you have the barrier in place, is that safe enough? I'll let the medical experts decide. But to me, it's very creative. It's it's ingenuity at its best. People are thinking. I love it. The same. I got a picture today from a friend and restaurant of the future. Because I've been worried about how do you open restaurants? Well, one of the things they're doing in Texas, they're only allowing uh, Governor Abbott was on TV the other night. Twenty five percent occupancy, a lot of distance within the restaurant. The people, the waiters, the, you know, the bartenders, the the, everybody is in masks in the restaurant. All these guys want to get back to work. I want them to get back to work. I know they've got mortgages and rent to pay and car payments and kids in school it's it's been tough on all of them and i know many of them are getting aid but not you know they want to get back to work most people i talk they're dying to get back to work anyway so this picture imagine this it's like a table of say 12 a little more distant than usual but you have everyone is surrounded by plexiglass at, at a pretty high level And I thought this was creative. Maybe this can help us reopen America's restaurants. I don't know how you do the bar thing. I've talked at length about what I believe with stadiums that we can do. I won't repeat myself. But I love that everybody's thinking here. 
Now, on the treatment front, uh, we have some good news. We'll get into more of this in detail with Dr. Oz, but even Dr. Anthony Fauci has confirmed reports that broke this afternoon that this clinical trial for the coronavirus drug, we've, we have discussed it a lot in the past. This is the RNA drug that we talk more about in the very beginning, remdesivir, and it is a randomized international trial, uh, and the drug remdesivir has resulted in quite good news, and I'm quoting Dr. Fauci. He said the drug shortening the period patients experience symptoms and potentially slightly reducing the mortality rate. Uh, what it has proven is that a drug can block this virus, calling the development, quote his words, very optimistic. For those who took the drug, Fauci said it took less time to recover, average 11 days compared to 15 days, for those in the control uh, group that received a placebo. In other words, everyone has wanted clinical trial, clinical trial, clinical trial. Well, in the beginning, we didn't have time for a clinical trial. You know, as Dr. Oz rightly said, you know, you go to war with the army that you have, not the one you wish you had while you're doing the studies. And then we got the the study back from this uh, virologist in France uh, that, in fact, was very cur- encouraging as it relates to hydroxychloroquine. Uh, another study in China, although I'm not too, I'm skeptical of anything that comes out of there. Uh, I did not like the VA study in as much as the people that received hydroxychloroquine. Remember, it was retroactive, that study. Um, and the people, they got it very late in the process. Many of them, you know, it was over by that time. So I didn't think that was particularly accurate or helpful. That was my interpretation. Uh, and doctor, doctors that I've interviewed, uh, but uh, so this is this is, you know, this is an improvement. Now, what remdesivir is showing is the mortality rate trended improvement, 8 percent versus 11 percent. I won't say that's statistically st- significant. The primary endpoint of time of recovery to me is significant. 11 days versus 15 days or a 31 percent improvement it, for those using remdesivir. Again, this is a real the first High power, successful, randomized trial comparing a placebo uh, to a COVID-19 fighting drug. What does that mean? That means, okay, this is information we can use to open up our country faster. You know, with all the talk, uh, you know, oh, the president, you know, when the president said, what have you got to lose with hydroxychloroquine? Well, where, why was the president saying that? Well, what is the first rule of medicine? Do no harm. Okay, well, I what convinced me more than anything else that the definitive statement on hydroxychloroquine, I believe, comes from Daniel Wallace. Now, Daniel Wallace is uh, based; he's affiliated with Cedar Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. This is a guy that inherited the largest lupus practice in the U.S. in 1985. He now has presently 2,000 patients with lupus. The majority of those patients are taken or have taken hydroxychloroquine. He has authored over 400 peer-reviewed papers. Peer-reviewed is a very rigorous process, and it goes through a lot of detail. And doctors are very territorial. Doctors, they, they are, you know, they're very quick to disagree with each other. I've learned more and more. Anyway, so, um, and he's written the Principal Lupus Textbook. He's the past chairman of the Lupus Foundation of America he, and the Rheuma, uh, Rheumatology Research Foundation of the American College of Rheumatology, currently on the board of directors of the Lupus Research Alliance and Lupus Therapeutics. I mean, he's written numerous articles uh, and authored them on anti-malarials. 
And he was specifically, again, addressing, forget about what impact it has. I, I have spoken to new, so many people now that used hydroxychloroquine. They all tell me it worked. They all, not one person has said it didn't help. Um, now, hydroxychloroquine, I'll use the words of Dr. Wallace. Uh, he says hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, Plaquenil, is a very safe drug. I'll continue, quote, it has been given to tens of millions of individuals in the world since its approval in 1955, that's 65 years, and as a monotherapy has not been associated with any deaths in the recommended dose. 42 years of practice, no patient of mine has ever been hospitalized for an HCQ complication. And he pointed out the rumor, and again, they, they prescribe it as an anti-malarial they use it for lupus. They use it for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and he pointed out uh, rheumatologists, they don't get EKGs before prescribing HCQ. Never had a problem. There are no treatment guidelines suggesting uh, that they obtain that. Uh, on the other hand, chloroquine is associated with QT interview, interval problems. When it first came out, we did, have, uh, we did not have other agents meaning other medicines associated. He also talked about the dosage having been, you know, prescribed 600 to 800 milligrams a day in the 50s and 60s. That's when they had those occasional reports. Uh, cardiotoxicity can occur, he pointed out, accumulation of the drug with long-term use in one per several thousand patients. You know, we talked about the eye issue again over times, the risk of Retinal tech, uh, toxicity, zero percent of five years. And then he went and took it to the next step. Quote, the risk of taking 400 HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, a day following a single 600 milligram hydroxychloroquine loading dose for 30 or 60 days. The risk is nil unless one has an allergic rash or upset stomach. And that might be 5% of the people that take it, meaning it's just a rash and just an upset stomach. Um, the risk otherwise is nil. Now, he's talking about 30 or 60 days. Uh, in New York, most hospitals were only prescribing it for five days. I know some people that were on it for 10 days. I know maybe two or three people that were on it for 20 days. So it's 30, 60 days that he says the risk is nil. So it's do no harm. Then he even addressed the issue of for example, those people that use it with uh, 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 erythromycin, for example, ZPAC. And he said with that, you know, dose, no clinical adverse reactions. Um, and, and, you know, in other words, nearly all my lupus patients have taken zithromycin over the years without a single adverse event. 42 years of practice. The, I mean, the most preeminent guy I can find. And uh, but yet, you know, facts don't matter in this environment that we live in. Truth doesn't matter in this environment that we live in. Now, I would call that that would be something that I would refer to as hopeful, helpful. That is part of the go to war with the army you have and not the army you wish you had. Uh, we had looked into re uh, remdesivir now for quite a while. It seemed to get quiet as hydroxychloroquine kind of became more front and center. Others have been using it. We've been following it. And, you know, if that is what's going to help save lives and it's safe, then what have you got to lose? I'll quote the president. Again, do no harm. And the premier expert 
in the country on HCQ was very clear. Um, but the mob, the media, they, you know, they are who they are. They'll never change. That's the 99 percent. We have an informational crisis and it's getting worse and it's going to get even more, even even more complicated as we move forward. You see this with the mob. They refuse to ask any Democrat, all the I believers about the Tara Reid uh, accusation against Biden. They the ones that rushed to judgment. The ones that gave zero presumption of innocence to Justice Kavanaugh, they're now eerily silent. So are the so's the mob and the media, their propaganda wing, their state TV, their state newspapers, uh, the New York Toilet Paper Times, for example. It's not worth anything. It is all agenda driven. And a lot of it, even when you prove that they're factually wrong, they don't care. They have no standards whatsoever. It is now anything they need to do to advance their agenda. It's sad. You know, even the New York Times giving out advice. Who says it's not safe to travel to China? Well, I wonder if anybody traveled to China and took the New York Times toilet paper advice. What happened? wonder if uh, anybody uh, took that advice. What would have happened? All right, as we roll along, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of this extravaganza, there is a big brewing rebellion building in the in the country i can tell you that um uh in the state of new york for example there was a, a apparently a very popular well-loved like rabbi who had passed away and there was a funeral most of the community came out uh most of the people i saw were wearing masks by the way there, there wasn't the quote social distancing in place uh, Comrade de Blasio, Mr. March 2nd, telling New Yorkers, here's my recommendations. Go out on the town. Go to a play. Go here. Go there. You're safe. Uh, that was March 2nd through 5th um, and had no preparation whatsoever, even saying on March 10th it was OK to go out. Uh, now he's tweeting out my message to the Jewish community and all communities is this simple. The time for warnings have passed. I have instructed the NYPD to proceed immediately to summons or even arrest those who gather in large groups. This is about stopping the disease and saving lives, period. And this is the same guy that wouldn't answer my question if he's going to use the videotape. I asked him repeatedly of cops being assaulted and doused with water and, and attacked. And if you can use the video, identify the people in the video and arrest them all. Uh, he wouldn't even answer. He also tweeted out to the Muslim New Yorkers beginning their celebrations tonight at Need Meals. We have them across our 400 plus grab and go meal sites, blah, 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 blah. OK, put that out. There is a huge crisis in fight now that Governor Cuomo is under such fire for, I would argue, rather stupidly, giving an executive order forcing COVID-19 patients into elderly care facilities. They weren't capable and prepared. Twenty five percent of New York deaths. Um, he could have asked Donald Trump because they barely use the Javits Center, COVID-19, personnel, everything set for him. Same with the, the comfort. Now they have the subway homeless crisis. They cut the trains in half, meaning there's less distancing. Unbelievable. Healthcare worker calls Cuomo's order uh, a death sentence. It's 
Straight ahead. At 25 now till the top of the hour. Uh, good news on the drug remdesivir. Even Dr. Fauci now saying good news. And uh, we'll get into that with Dr. Oz coming up. All things Bill O'Reilly, simpleman.com uh, coming up. We should redo his website. We should be BillOReillySimpleMan.com. Maybe maybe we'll suggest that to him. Uh, he uh, does crack me up. Anyway, so there's a lot going on in New York. So you know, um, I don't know. I mean, when you talk about the heart of radical leftism, you're looking at New York. Uh, and it's a, for the rest of the country, it's surreal. A friend of mine who lives in Florida now, used to be a New Yorker. He says, I'm sick of you talking about New York. <laughs> he said that to me. But if we can solve the problems, my reason for discussing opening New York City and Yankee Stadium, if you can open to New York, um, my feeling is we're wide open everywhere else. The job that Ron DeSantis did down in Florida, we can learn a lot from. What Christy Nome with her new policy, they never closed down, getting back to normal, um, and she was on Hannity last night. DeSantis was on last night. It, she has been incredible. With the, you know, they had the one breakout at this meat packaging plant in South Dakota. Managed it really well. And you know, didn't expect it. It happened. Now they're putting in. You know, they're, they're learning from it. And we're all learning a lot of things in this. And there's no, there's nothing you can describe that that we've ever dealt with in such a way. But people are now beginning to get very antsy. In New York, I am telling you, it is getting very loud. The fights that are now going on between Andrew Cuomo and de Blasio and the subway homeless crisis is disgusting and dis uh, disgraceful and disrespectful, says Cuomo. He's really talking directly to comrade uh, de Blasio, the Dumbo. I mean, he's the dumbest guy on in. I mean, the things that he was saying March 2nd and March 10th and Governor Cuomo arrogantly believed his health care system was better. Both the city of New York recommendation, 10,000 ventilators for New York City were needed. Mayor Bloomberg bought 500. Check. OK, what happened to them? Well, they were never maintained, auctioned off by the city. and They have no idea where they went. They didn't have any. They needed the hospitals. Remember, remember, they're both saying we're not going to have a problem. We're ready in New York on March the 2nd. Remember, that's what they were saying. The leaders of New York. They, a week later, then the, the, the freak out begins. And it wasn't New York that got the ventilators. It wasn't New York uh, that it was it was Donald Trump that made it happen. The hospital bed, the largest hospital Built in America, the Javits Center, 3,000 beds. That was Donald Trump, built by Trump, the Army Corps of Engineers, manned by personnel from Donald Trump. The same with the Comfort. And they were both converted for COVID-19. 25% of those dead in New York, nursing homes, March 25th, executive order, forcing nursing homes to take on patients. But when asked why they did that, they said, well, it's about money, and those, the, the nursing homes wanted the money, and... Why wasn't there enough protection? Well, they, uh, that's not my responsibility. Now, that came from New York government that was screaming to Donald Trump. It's his responsibility. Trump got the job done. Why they didn't use all these empty beds, thousands of them, between the Comfort and the Javits Center, or manned personnel and COVID-19 ready is, is beyond any understanding that I will ever have. 
well, it's a federal thing. And all you Governor Cuomo said he could call the president. We could get a call back immediately. How about saying we have a problem with elderly people going back to nursing homes? We don't think these nursing homes have the capability. Can we bring them over to the Javits Center? Did he think the answer was going to be no? Why didn't they ask? Why did they sign the executive order? I mean, it is a huge, unbelievable scandal that has emerged in New York. Then we're finding out, well, they cut the telling people, all right, take the subways and be socially distant. But half of the subways aren't running. So that means they're forcing people into that, including the homeless population, uh, uh, which obviously is greater risk of of health issues. I don't think it's, uh, you know, too hard to figure that out. And they're on the subways with, you know, essential workers that have no other way to get to work. It's it's absolutely insane. Um, All of these things happen. It'll, I assume, work itself out. Uh, it's sad that New York City and New York State will never, never understand that it was the president that bailed out New York. Now they're screaming for more bailout money. Or are you going to tell New York to drop dead? Uh, I mean, when I heard that from de Blasio, I, I literally, my head spun around and I was projectile vomiting green puke. It's so disgustingly, you know, obnoxious of him. He was the guy telling people to go out. And then Donald Trump saved New York's backside by doing all of this for New York. And the rest of the country paid the bills. Now they're demanding money. Uh, Okay, don't take America's money for anything unrelated to COVID. New York, I'm going to make a prediction here. We're going to look back at this as game changing for New York City and New York State. It has already been leading the nation. In terms of people getting the hell out of here. Why? Some of the highest taxes in the country. The most burdensome regulation. They have some of the the highest property taxes in the country. Add to that some of the worst infrastructure in the world. uh, In the world, I mean, not just the country. Some of the worst. And outdated. And they've been losing population. And they're going to lose more. What, What is going to be some new normals in this? Well, we've had... Doctor, our good friend from Atlas MD, Dr. Josh Umber, on this program for years, I have tortured this poor guy because he came up with his health care cooperative system, 50 bucks a month adults, 10 bucks a month kids, 24-hour uh, doctor availability, unlimited visits. He negotiates directly with pharmaceutical companies, and he gets, you walk out with your medicine, you don't have to go to the drugstore, and you get it at a 90, 95% discount, and he's been able to duplicate that around a thousand times all over the country. He's in Wichita, Kansas. Now you add to medicine, telemedicine. You call up. My kid has the croup. What do I do? Okay, put him in the shower, get a lot of steam going, see if it's a little better. Call me back in an hour. It would probably reduce off the top of my head uh, emergency room visits by a third or 40%. That's huge cost savings for any healthcare solution. Uh, with the Dr. Josh plan, 50 bucks a month, you get a with that a catastrophic health plan, which would cover you if, God forbid, you had a heart attack, you got cancer or something or a bad accident that would be covered with whatever deductible you feel comfortable with. That is, you know, dramatically cheaper than your average health care plan. Now you're fully covered. That would be an innovative idea. But I think what you'll see in New York is, well, what have we learned from teleworking? People like working from home. People actually, I would argue, are more productive working from home. 
Because in New York, you're saving maybe an hour in some cases, maybe two hours, maybe an hour and a half, maybe 30 minutes a day each way getting to and from the office. Even traveling just within New York, if you live downtown or let's say you, you live around Wall Street and the Freedom Tower and you're trying to get to Midtown or trying to get uptown, it takes forever during traffic times, ever. And so that would be eliminated. People will, you know, they live in uh, people, kids that work for me and they're kids to me um, that live in these, you know, tiny studio apartments. Um, they're going to realize, well, if I live outside of New York, uh, I'm going to have more wide open spaces. I'm going to save money, pay less. I'm going to have more flexibility and freedom with my work schedule. I'll get up early, do a lot of extra work. Then I'll go work out. Then I'll come back and do more work. They're going to like that. They'll have better lifestyles. Um, some, but once, once this clicks in, it's a new world when employers figure out that, oh, uh, employees can be as productive. I don't have to pay the high cost of either rent or owning office space in New York. Uh, I can now move my headquarters of my business to a state like Texas or Florida with zero income tax. And I'm going to save a fortune and I'll have more flexibility in terms of how I run my business and not having government big government's big hand on my head. I'm telling you, it's a prescription that New York will see potentially a dramatic, precipitous, noticeable decline in population. Probably slow and steady, maybe dramatic. I don't know, but it's coming is a new world ahead of us. And New York has done just about everything they can do to chase people out of New York. You know, you'll have your people say, ah, oh, I love the energy of New York City. Well, you enjoy the energy and go rent a hotel room for a weekend and, and go home and you'll save a fortune. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, look at what, you know, I mean, the threatening Mayor de Blasio, a popular Orthodox rabbi died. People wanted to go to his funeral. You're not going to stop it. And the guy that wouldn't even arrest those that were attacking New York police officers. Uh, you know, now he's, well, you watch out, I'm gonna, you're going to get summonses, we're going to arrest you, blah, blah, blah. It was ridiculous. Then you have California Governor Newsom saying schools may restart as early as late July and they might open them early this year. Okay, well, I think Gavin Newsom, I don't agree with Gavin Newsom on a lot of politics. I don't know, I think he did a much better job. Person that gets the highest grades, governor-wise, there's a lot of them. I shouldn't single any, I'll single these two out, I think. Ron DeSantis, Christy Nome, and there's so many others. It's not fair. A lot of governors did well. I, maybe Governor Kemp in Georgia was more right than I thought when I saw these barriers that are built for people to get their manny and petty things. I don't, I don't go to these places. What do I know? Uh, I thought tattoo parlors or whatever you call those places. I didn't like that idea either. Um, we still have, oh, the Illinois, uh, let's see, I guess Illinois Senator Plummer, don't waste federal funds on my state's bankrupt system. Well, that goes for New York, too. And New York City. Sorry, guys. You waste, fraud, and abused everybody. $750 million wasted on a solar panel factory in upstate New York when they could be fracking and they could have made billions. Now, Pennsylvania is literally stealing New York's gas. And by the way, not stealing. They're just taking it from their own territory, very close to New York. They're smart. Jobs, money, finances. Pennsylvania's smart. Um, New York could have been doing it. They didn't. $600 million microchip company fail. 
$90 million New York State fail on light bulbs. I mean, it's ridiculous. But they can't buy afford ventilators. Or they can't afford masks and gloves and, and medical supplies for a predictable terror attack or pandemic. And they had multiple warnings. But I, I'll tell you this. Anybody that's good that wants to work for me and I don't need him to come in uh, every day, they can work from home. I don't care. Linda, didn't we, we did a great job with our team, right? I think everybody on our radio and Absolutely. TV. Absolutely. Totally. You know, everyone's going to like me a lot this week, by the way. I'm just saying. I'm just guessing. We like you every day. Yeah, but you're going to get mad again. You're going to get. You're going to yell at me by the time this week is over. I'm just guessing. Wonderful. I think we should talk about something nice for a minute. Can we do that? What? Just for like a second. Okay. So, for those of you that heard the show on Monday, you know that Sean has a new book coming out on August fourth, um, and now he is doing something. Live free or die, America. And the who's, world who's on telling the, the story? Am I telling the story or are you telling the story? Just given the title. Uh-huh. Sorry. I've been so working anyways, hard on it for like a year, but go ahead. So I was so rudely interrupted. Uh, so for Mother's Day, for those of you out there who want to give uh, something really nice for your mom, Sean has a limited collector's edition, binded, beautiful uh, edition of the book. You can get it at SeanHannityBook.com. It's also on Hannity.com. And you can go, you can get it now, and then you can get a gift certificate that shows that you thought of your mom and you thought of this awesome gift so that you're ready for Mother's Day. It's May 10th. And then you can present the gift certificate and then get it, you know, later on delivered uh, when the book comes well, out. They'll get the book first. They'll get it the first week. They, they yeah, get they'll it get it when it comes released. out. But at least yeah. this weekend coming up on May 10th, you'll be able to give a gift certificate with a beautiful picture of the book and what it looks like. It's got your mug on it, yada, yada. No, the, well, no, actually, my mug is not on the book cover. I, and by the it's way, I'm really proud of, look, I worked hard on the cover of that book, which I'd never done before, because I think this is the moment. This is it. New Green Deal, death of capitalism, free market capitalism that has created more wealth and prosperity. You know, we, we, we accumulate this power through American ingenuity and entrepreneurship and we have advanced the human condition around the world. That's what's at stake in 188 days. This is this is the definitive case. And I started this a long time ago. I had no idea what the issues would be. And we were going to have an earlier release. This obviously has pushed things back because I want to make sure we capture this moment and what, what it means in the right way. And yeah, I, I'm very, the bound edition is beautiful. It's a beautiful gift set. And it, I love the card for mom and it will be a, it, it's a really nice. It's really, edition. really nice. Yes. It's a first edition. It's just, it's a nice gift. And, you know, it's just something that you can give to your mom that is, you know, in addition to, you know, the beautiful flowers that you can get from other great sponsors of ours, like 1-800-Flowers. All right. Well, that's on Hannity.com. All right. Hour two, Sean Hannity show, toll free, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. We have some medical updates uh, meat packing plants. Uh, we now have all uh, witnessed and, and read the statements of John Tyson, the uh, chairman of Tyson Foods, uh, warning millions of pounds of meat will disappear from the supply chain. We had South Dakota Governor uh, Christy Nome on last night talking about the problem they had at their one meat processing plant. Uh, we also had um, the senator from Iowa. Uh, what's her name? I'm going blank. I'm going Joe Biden here uh, as I sleep less and less. Joni Ernst. Uh, and we had her on talking about the problem they had in Iowa. There's now a problem in Washington state. I'll get an update in a second from Dr. Oz. Uh, the opening of salons and restaurants we have an update on. 
Uh, and then the good news that we mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. Fauci confirming reports as well, a randomized international trial of the drug. We had spoken about it a number of times before. Remdesivir has resulted in quite good news. Fauci's words, not mine. The drug shortening the period of patients experiencing symptoms, potentially slightly reducing mortality rates. Uh, his quote, what it has proven is that a drug can block this virus. He called the development, quote, very optimistic. For those that took the drug, Fauci pointed out, rightly so, that it took less time to recover, averaging 11 days compared to 15 days for those in a control group that received a placebo. He also said the mortality rate uh, trended lower for those that took the drug, 8% versus 11% who did not. Uh, not not statistically that significant, but every life matters, right? And I think the more interesting thing is the time to recovery uh, numbers they pulled out of this, a 31% improvement with the use of the drug remdesivir. Dr. Raz has been saying, yeah, of course, we all want clinical trials. We, we, we got the ones from France, for example, on hydroxychloroquine. Nobody wanted to hear it, but they came in quite positively. I did not like the VA study. It was sort of a retrospective, and people were late in the game that were given it. I didn't think it was a, a good study. I don't think it'll ever meet a peer review standard myself. Uh, we've also gone over in detail the words of Daniel Wallace, who is the foremost expert on hydroxychloroquine and has now been in, in practice 42 years, 400 peer review papers, wrote the principal textbook on on lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and he knows he's written on anti-malarials you know you know said the dosage of hydroxychloroquine the harm is nil based on the doses and uh and so i didn't you know i think people have a political agenda in some of this which we shouldn't have uh dr oz i know you've read this news on remdesivir i'm dying to hear your take on it i read the news i also read the uh, lancet article which I want to cover because that was uh, also on remdesivir. That was from China and did not find the same positive results. However, I, I, I think by explaining both, the audience will feel pretty good about remdesivir. And again, I want to uh, uh, put this a little bit on, on Dr. Fauci because we don't have the data yet. I'm going completely off what he has said in a very recent uh, press conference. I listened to it carefully, listened to it several times, but I don't have the raw data. So here's what it seems that we may have the first proven building block to building a protective wall against COVID-19. So again, this is not going to treat everybody all the time. Sean, you went through the numbers very honorably. It's exactly what we've heard this afternoon. The time to recovery when this drug was used, uh, and it's the first high-powered, successful randomized trial against COVID-19. So it's a big deal that we haven't even won. So what he was basically saying was, thank goodness, at least something works a little bit. Maybe we can use that as a building block and then add things to it, or maybe use it smarter or better. So he said if you use it at the right time, uh, you get a statistically significant reduction in the time to recovery from 15 days to 11 days. Now, that, that's a big deal for us. And the chance of it being just pure luck is one in a 1,000. So this is a real result. Now, the mortality rate trended better. It wasn't statistically significant. And by that, we mean we can't say that's going to be reproducibly found. 
but it's intriguing that it trended better. So theoretically, if you, try, if you kept going and did enough patients, it might actually be statistically significant. Um, but if you look at the Lancet paper, which is actually published, so the, what we just talked about so far is just Dr. Fauci saying, hey, uh, this is exciting information. I want the nation to hear this. We want to start acting on this information as soon as possible to save lives. And the reason they broke the trial, by the way, was you don't want the placebo group, these, these people who agreed to be in a trial, and many listeners have been offered trials. If you're in the placebo group, you're not getting the pill. So if once you see there's a difference, you want to give the people who honorably took the placebo a chance to be in the real medication so they do better. In any case, the, the Lancet study did not show a benefit, but one of the reasons might be that they treated the patients later in the course of illness. You mentioned the VA trial with hydroxychloroquine. Same kind of story. If you use the, the right drug at the wrong time, you're not going to get a benefit. So when they used remdesivir in sicker patients, they did not overall see a difference. Plus, people were getting better. There's not, there's not a lot of cases in China, so they couldn't complete the trial. But when they looked at the specific group of people in that China trial, the Lancet paper, who got the drug earlier, it trended better for them. They, they, they did seem to have a reduction, not statistically significant, but a reduction in, in, in ventilation days, recovery time, even mortality rate. It's not statistically significant, but that plus what we're learning now from this, this oral report from Dr. Fauci and additional trials that come up, you can begin to understand as a, as a listener that a doctor might say, okay, now that we know this drug works in the first 10 days of your illness, we've got to give it within those 10 days. Because after all, it's an antiviral. Its job is to prevent the virus from growing. It's not going to help with the inflammatory cascade, the cytokine storm that often causes huge complications late in the disease. So if you're going to use an antiviral, use it where it might help. Boy, well said. Where are we? I know the your hospital affiliation is Columbia Presbyterian. I know that Columbia Presbyterian and NYU Langone, I'm pretty sure, are both involved in a study in terms of any prophylactic uh, qualities that might exist as it relates to the use of hydroxychloroquine, for example, uh, lupus patients, those with rheumatoid arthritis or used this medicine as an anti-malarial. Um, we weren't seeing, we were seeing very low incidences of people that used hydroxychloroquine for those diseases contracting corona. Um, do we have any update on that study or those studies? Those trials got delayed a bit because we were so busy just saving lives during the, uh, the, the, the epicenter hit on New York City. But there are other trials. I'm supporting the one at the University of Minnesota. I've had the guys on my show. Uh, they, they're randomizing several thousand patients, half of them to treat early disease. Again, if, it, if a drug like hydroxychloroquine works, it's probably going to have to be used early. That's what the data with France from France and the Chinese randomized trials are showing. Uh, again, we need to have a large U.S. trial to show that. That's what this Minnesota trial seems, seeks to do. Plus, you mentioned prophylaxis, intriguing possibility, uh, because the drug has been used so much for so many years that it might be the kind of drug that you would give prophylactically to first responders, to spouses of people who have converted to COVID-19. And so but both of those trials are running. They just uh, shared that there are over 1,000 patients now in that trial, you know, on their way to several to 3,000. And the, the Data Safety Committee said that so far there have not been significant complications so they can let the trial keep going, all of which is you know, good news, at least so we can get the data. And I don't think it's going to be a one-size-fits-all, just like remdesivir and all these other drugs that are coming out there. We want to be very targeted and thoughtful about it, recognizing that some patients will do better with some drugs than others, some patients in some parts of their illness will do better with some drugs than others, and we can put together a compilation that we can take care of people wherever they happen to be with their COVID-19. 
I just think all of this on every level, to be honest, is just gives us hope. Um, let's talk about a, uh, the opening. We've talked about the salons. I sent you a picture today of a restaurant. More socially it, distant with the with the plastic around, you know, not well, the plexiglass up high. Did that intrigue you at all? Because it did intrigue me. I loved it just for the listeners. So you imagine sitting next across from someone you care about. Maybe you can make it in groups of four. So the most people you can drink, eat with is four people. And then you put plexiglass between your table and the table next to you. And in places where they're a little bit more crowded, you could see that being a tactic. And just to, to speak about the meatpacking because I know you alluded to it earlier or discussed it. I, that was my show today. I focused it on that. And the big issue there is how do you get people who are working elbow to elbow in a meat processing plant to not get everyone else sick? And one of the ideas is to put these plexiglass barriers there so we can work near each other because you have to, you know, there's some limitations to how you do that business. But don't face anybody directly. So you're not coughing in someone else's face. Put plexiglass between you. The, the carcass goes in front of you, but the plexiglass blocks me from talking to you and infecting you. And those things, those tactics will make it safer to work in those facilities. But the restaurant's a great example. It, it's, it keeps the air, because it's a clear plexiglass, it doesn't make you feel claustrophobic, gives you a little room. You, could, you can't put a mask on while you're eating, so you use the mask to get to your seat, but then take it off. You're protected by the plexiglass. Ventilate the room. There was a great study from China today showing that in non-ventilated rooms, the, the little tiny aerosolized saliva just stays there forever, just bouncing around. Uh, is, you know, there are multiple studies now showing this. And there, if you just get in a ventilated room and maybe use additional new technologies, you can imagine having dinner and feeling safe about it. You know, I, I liked it. You know what I love more than anything else between the salons and people getting manicures with the same type of plexiglass protection and, and you put your hands uh, underneath this open spot like a bank teller, you know, giving you the money with that, you know, just little opening at the bottom of the plexiglass. Uh, the person that's given the manicure, I don't get them, by the way, never have. I don't get it myself, but other people really like it, apparently. And anyway, but you, it, it gives us hope that we can open this up and to wear masks both sides. Uh, there's more social distancing between it, the stations, if you will, or you have numerous clients at once. Maybe you limit that, maybe make that bigger. The same with restaurants. I think all of this is American ingenuity at its best. And again, if people, if people wear the masks and like the people stocking the shelves and the people in the manufacturing plants, it works. How do we deal with this this meat packing uh, plant uh, plant crisis that has kind of emerged? Three states now: South Dakota, Iowa, and now the state of Washington. Well, I think you, you, if it's a bad break out of illness, you empty the plant out, do a terminal cleanse, which you should be able to do in a day or two. Uh, the virus dies, by the way, over that time period as well, and then you put people back in, but you test them. Uh, if they're high-contact people, they have to get tested frequently and then be meticulous in tracking symptoms. And I think those plexiglass barriers make sense. The OSHA requirements are now going to uh, also state you can't be facing someone directly. Um, so these, you know, they're, they're, they're strategies that could work. I mean, honest to goodness, you go from no strategy to a strategy. You test it. Is it good enough? Is it overkill? Then you adjust accordingly. And I think that's the challenge for the meat industry. But the the president's executive order last night puts a lot of – I think it gives protection to people to try new things, but it is a, it's an obligation of the meat producers to make it safer for the employees or they're just not going to come to work. And I think it's a bigger lesson. You've been pointing this out continually. If you open America and people don't think it's safe, no one's going to come. So we've got to do both together. 
Um, one other thing that I, I, I pay attention to all the things that you're covering on your show here, um, and that is that don't hoard the meat. Uh, like oh, yeah. I mostly eat meat. I'm not going to hoard meat. I'll, if I have to, I'll eat scallops. What do I care? Exactly. Two-week supply. We're asking that because we spoke to all the beef people. In the oh, I have like a two-day supply. You're, I'm good then. I'm not a hoarder. Yeah, you well, you got your buddy at the at the, uh, the, the store wearing his mask. He knows you well, but yeah, uh, I he think does. Right. He knows me too well. He took a <laughs> picture with me, and I said, "Please don't post this on social media." <laughs> I just please, you know, I'm just going to be endless brutality. Well, we got a 25 percent reduction in the pork supply in America, 10 percent reduction in the beef supply. These are big numbers. And if it gets worse, you'll start to really feel the pinch. I think if people just give the system another week or two to, to, to clean up some of these issues and give the, the big companies, because they're solid companies, get, give Tyson a chance to fix their problem. These guys can produce that much meat. Believe me, they, they'll be, they're incentivized. They want to uh, yeah, they they do it. And, and they will, I think the government's stepping in. I know the Defense Production Act is, is coming into play now on this, but we'll watch closely. Uh, Dr. Oz, you've been amazing. Hope with remdesivir. We'll keep everybody updated. Uh, and as always, thanks so much for your generous time. We'll have you on TV tonight, too, and update everybody. God bless you. Take care. All right, as we roll along, fascinating stuff. Um, we're going to get to, when we get back, this whole double standard as it relates to Tara Reid. Uh, Nancy, Ohio, uh, how are you? Glad you called. Oh, I'm doing good, Sean. Thank you. I uh, just wanted to share, I work from home, and I know a lot of companies are moving toward working from home. And I've actually been working from home for about six years, and I'm a nurse for an insurance company, and I wanted to share how we've made it successful. Tell me. Okay, so we have to have a designated room with four walls and a door that locks. They cannot Mm -hmm. be used for any other purpose. And we have a business class Internet that goes straight to that room, separate from our home internet, the computers supplied by the company, so we don't have to worry about using our home computer and getting any, you know, patient information on there. Mm-hmm. And the company can watch us. If we stop typing for about 10 minutes, a light will go off, and the boss will know that you're not working. And they can be like, hey, what are you doing? They found that the nurses that worked from home for were about twice as productive as the nurses that worked in the office. I am speaking from my own personal experience. I have a lot of people, a big part of the people that work on radio and TV working from home. Well, I've always had the best people. I mean, I'm very lucky in terms of everyone that works for me, but they, they, they're even more productive. And they don't have the long travel, and they like, they like the freedom, the flexibility. They like more open spaces. And I'll tell you, corporations, they're going to bail on New York, I think. New York is in... And if you don't think it can happen, look at Detroit. They lost half their population. Um, anyway, Nancy, thank you for sharing what you do. And you're on the front line as a health provider. We love you guys. You guys are called to do this, and we're lost without you. Thank you. All right, 25 now till the uh, top of the hour, 800 Sean, you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Um, if you look at the double standard... It is, it should take your breath away. Every single solitary thing that I have said about the media mob, state-run television uh, for the radical socialist Democrats is true. The same with state-run newspapers, the New York Toilet Paper Times. It's useless. It is agenda-driven. It is facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Slander doesn't matter. Uh, they can make it up, get facts wrong, and there's no honor. They wouldn't even correct a factual mistake. That's who they are. That's just same with Washington Post. 
Um, you know, anyone took the New York Times advice after the president put the travel ban in effect about a week later? It was the New York Times six days later, five days later. Uh, who says it's not safe to travel to China? I wonder if anyone took the New York Times advice and traveled to China. That would have been dumb. What, would, what, what might have happened? Um, so we all know that this is true. Now, we've had this case involving Tara Reid and her accusations against Joe Biden. It is graphic. It is sexual assault. And we have an ability to compare and contrast how Democrats reacted in terms of, oh, the Kavanaugh case and the I believers versus now. Um, You know, Hillary Clinton endorses Joe Biden for president. They're having a conference call on women's issues and beyond Joe nearly falling asleep. They never talk about the issue of Tara Reid. Not one time. Tara Reid has spoken out uh, against Hillary Clinton, you know, saying that she's enabling a sexual predator. Now, keep in mind, Tara Reid is a lifelong Democrat. She voted for Hillary Clinton, a staunch supporter of Barack Obama. Um, She never went through with this damning information about his running mate. And we now know why. And she's spoken out about this. She, you know, she was watching. As a familiar conversation around her former boss, Creepy Joe, and his relationship with personal space was unfolding on the national stage. That was last April. The Intercept broke this in one of their columns. And that was about Nevada politician Lucy uh, Flores alleging that Biden had inappropriately sniffed her hair, kissed the back of her head as she waited to go on stage at a rally in 2014. And Biden, in a statement in response, said not once In his career, did he believe he had acted inappropriately? Now, the allegation by Flores sounded accurate to read, she said, because she had experienced something similar as a staffer in Biden's Senate office years earlier. Then she watched an episode of The View, that hard-hitting news show on ABC, uh, in which most of the panelists stood up for Biden, attacked Flores as being politically motivated. You know, Reid decided that she had no choice. She came forward to support Flores. She felt the com- compelled to do it. Gave an interview to a local reporter and then the Intercept in a podcast describing instances in which Biden had behaved sim- similarly towards her and inappropriately touching her in the early 90s during her tenure in his Senate office. In that first interview, She decided to tell a piece of the story that she said that matched what had happened to Flores. Plus, she had filed a contemporaneous complaint that uh, that there were witnesses. So she considered the allegation bulletproof. The article uh, then brought a wave of attention on her. You know, now there are accusations she's doing the bidding of Russian President Putin. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's it's just insane. You know, there was a piece, where did I read this earlier today, about women's groups. I think it was the, the Daily Beast, actually. Not, no fans of Sean Hannity. Why w- have women's groups gone dead silent on the Biden sexual assault accusation? Daily Beast contacted t- uh, 10 top national pro-women organizations for the story, including em- Emily's List, Planned Parenthood, Action Fund, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, National Organization for Women, They didn't respond. This show and our TV show, we have reached out to the senators, the I believer senators whose name has been out in the public. Women that Joe said he was going to pick a female VP. 
that whose names have been mentioned. None of them want to talk. They go on the Sunday shows. They're all protected. And no one asked the question. Joe does 10 interviews since the allegation. Uh, 81 questions, not one about Tara Reid. Sort of like quid pro quo Joe, right? They protected him on, you're not getting the billion. Unless you fire the prosecutor investigating my zero experience on Hunter, who's being paid millions. And the issue of China will be in the forefront as this campaign unfolds. Um, the silence is deafening, especially when you consider all the I believers. This is TV four, uh, Jason. And, you know, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. All Where are all the I believers? Because we're not hearing from any of them. First of all, anybody who comes forward at this point um, to, to, to be prepared to testify in the United States Senate against someone who is being nominated to one of the most powerful positions in the United States government, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. Not only do women like Dr. Ford, who bravely comes forward, need to be heard, but they need to be believed. They need to be believed. Let me just say right at the outset, I believe... Dr. Ford, I believe the survivor here, there's every reason to believe her. She has come forward courageously and bravely. I believe her. I stand with her. And Do you hope I don't she shows she, up on Monday? Do you hope that she testifies? I don't think she should be bullied into this scenario where it's a he said, she said. I believe Professor Ford. I think she's credible. And I think when the investigation is finished and when she testifies and Judge Kavanaugh testifies, I think a majority of senators will find her credible. They all believe now. There's something very interesting that has happened here. Again, lifelong Democrat Tara Reid uh, voted for Clinton, a staunch supporter of Barack Obama. And as these allegations, now this is a big difference between what happened with her and Professor Ford, all those I believers. She has corroboration of at least four individuals that she confided in, including a best friend, including her brother uh, and a former neighbor who is a Biden supporter and the haunting call haunting. And as much as it's her mom apparently passed away in 2016, calling into Larry King live in 1993, asking for advice about a daughter that worked in Washington. She was talking about her daughter. Not only that do is, women like Dr. Ford who bring. That is that is pretty haunting. So and we played that for you. I won't play it again here. Now, I when you look at all of this together, it makes you pause, doesn't it? Because we're talking about something really, really significant here. In other words, there was no corroboration, no call from mom back in 1993 and Larry King live. She has all of these witnesses that have corroborated her story that she told at the time and a neighbor. And by the way, Biden supporter. And then we have on top of that, a police report that was filed. That's why she wants the records opened in Biden's Senate office from his Senate days. Uh, they're not encouraging people to do that right now. You know, oh, we why is the media not asking the question? Why is the mob in the media, why are they giving Joe a pass? Now, if you look at Donald Trump, none of that was off the table. And I remember a New York Toilet Paper Times 
front page, I believe it was top fold article about all these women that they said, said this, 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 and this. I started an interview in the women and they said just the opposite. One after another, they got facts wrong. Like usual facts, truth don't matter to the mob and the media. They are, they have a political agenda, their agenda. They are the, the Pravda wing state run newspapers they are all things democratic socialist party they are all things anti-trump every second minute hour of every day they hate trump they hate trump supporters they bludgeon they lie they belittle they smear slander besmirch this is how they make their money this is how this they think they're doing god's work they you know this whole thing about irredeemable deplorables etc yeah that's they they think we're smelly walmart shoppers that cling to our god our Second Amendment, our Bibles and our faith and religion, and we're angry. Uh, well, okay, I'm guilty. I'm a Walmart shopper, and I believe in God and Jesus, his son, and the Second Amendment, and yeah, all of that. And I like to shop at Walmart. Okay, guilty. If I smell, I don't know that I smell. I shower often. Um, it's like Biden said, you know, about Trump supporters. The people I grew up, he said, they, you know, they're their kids. Uh, you know, they're... They're their their kids and they're not racist. They're not sexist, but we didn't talk to them. Wow. Biden repeatedly said Clinton did not do enough to reach, you know, white working class voters who previously voted for Democrats. Biden was asked if he hopes to reach the president's base. And he replied with a laugh. His base? Ha, probably not. There are people who support the president because they like the fact that he's engaged in the politics of division. Joe Biden said this. About Trump supporters, they really support the notion that, you know, all Mexicans are rapists, all Muslims are bad and dividing this nation based on ethnicity and race. Oh, he sounds like Hillary. That's his irredeemable, deplorable moment. What is the when Michael Avenatti was charged with abuse? I said, I'm going to give him that which he never gave Donald Trump. And he's the one that came out with the whole Julie Swetnick thing, which was off the rails in the end. And I said the presumption of innocence. But I thought Republicans in the case of Professor Ford, they finally handled something right. They took it seriously. They brought in they, they allowed the questions to be asked. They they did it respectfully. They sought the truth. Fine. We now know Justice Kavanaugh goes out there and, you know, he was being accused basically of being a rapist, according to Julie Swetnick. You think of all the times the mob in the media gets it wrong. You know, this kid, Nicholas Sandman, is going to be a billionaire. That's my guess. Already had a settlement with fake news CNN. They don't disclose the amount. I'm betting probably, if I had to guess, is a guess. $100 million minimum. New York Times is being sued. Washington Post is being sued. I think that they're going to, he's going to win every, every single time. This kid did everything right. And even, they never tried once to ask him his side of the story. And even after we knew the truth, they still continued to bludgeon him. And, and he's not a public figure. Times v. Sullivan, mm, that standard doesn't exist for him. Um, and I think Lynn Wood, one of the best libel attorneys, just like Charles Harder, these serious people, you know, look at what I've told the story. How often the lesson I learned with Richard Jewell, I was in Atlanta, 1996 Olympics, 
As the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said at the end of the year of 96, 1996 was a great year. The Olympics came and Hannity left. But that newspaper came out with, he fits the profile of a lone bomber. He lives with his mother. Well, I was on the radio and I said, so what? He lives with his mother. He's probably trying to save money. That doesn't make you a terrorist. And I didn't know Richard Jewell was listening. He told me I was the only one later. He would tell me I was the only one that ever gave him the benefit of the doubt. I learned a life's lesson. You want to know why we were right on Ferguson, Missouri? Because I had sources early on that told me multiple eyewitnesses that corroborate and confirm Officer Wilson's story. I protected my sources, but I was right. Duke LaCrosse came around. I took the time and I actually did some work. I went to the home of one of these kids, talked to his parents and the kids, and I got the other side of the story. What did the mob do? Just like in Ferguson, just like with Richard Jewell, just like with Nicholas Sandman, just like the UVA case, like Duke, they rushed to judgment. Remember the professors coming out, almost 100 of them, guilty, guilty, guilty. No, the kids weren't guilty. They eventually proved their own innocence. Time stamped when they returned to their own uh, dorms. Uh, ATM machine uh, receipts with evidence. They had to prove their innocence. The rush to judgment is regular. Freddie Gray, Baltimore, we were right, they were wrong. Cambridge Police, we were right, they were wrong. Donald Trump can win. We were right, they were wrong. Vetting Obama, they never vetted Obama. Now they're protecting Joe. The mob and the media protecting Joe. They won't even ask the question. And it's far more credible. There, There is, now they're weaponizing what is a significant, a real, important issue. Those that are guilty of sexual assault. But if you're wrongly accused, and I believe in the case of Justice Kavanaugh, that he was wrongly accused. Is that, that, that story of Julie Swetnick that then changed? It's horrific if you make a false allegation. Well, how about you give people due process and the presumption of innocence, let people talk, take it seriously like they would if it was Donald Trump. Stormy, stormy, stormy. Remember, but that was consensual. She never claimed assault. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. Leonard Skinner, simple man, and when you hear that, it can only mean one thing. News Roundup, Information Overload Hour, all things BillOReilly.com. Mr. O'Reilly, sir, are you still social distancing, which I think is probably easy, Uh, (laughs) but but are you wearing your mask? Are you going out, or are you you basically sheltering in place? What's going on? How are you, sir? All right. Number one, I like the sir. Number two, I got to dig in on the social distancing. I mean, what Hannity is telling his vast audience is that no one would want to hang with O'Reilly anyway. No, I'm just trying to be funny. Of course it is, Hannity. It's exactly You called me ugly last week. You said the mask made me look better. No, I said I understood why you would want to wear one. I didn't call you ugly. (laughs) I never used that word. You are implying. beings are beautiful. You're sort of like um, the New York uh, Times, implying that I'm a murderer. You know, it's just I'm used to it now. 
Well, let's get to that after we uh, run down my resume of uh, <laughs> the pandemic. So my philosophy is that I am cooperating in um, the quest to beat this virus down. So therefore, um, I do have the six feet rule. And uh, when I go out to pick up food or anything, I give my credit card in advance so I don't have to spend any time. I just go in, they hand me the bag, and I go back to the car. I don't wear the mask because I really don't go in anywhere um, where there are other people. Um, By the way, I do wear the mask, and I go grocery shopping every week at least once or twice. And you know what, Bill? The guys that stock the shelves, they uh, they don't need to reopen because they've been there at the epicenter of this the whole time with their masks and gloves on, feeding mm-hmm. all of us and sustaining us. Without them, we wouldn't have stock shelves, and they're all healthy. I talk to them every week. Well, I would pay money to watch you go grocery shopping, number one. What does that mean? What does that mean? I just want to know what you do. Do you buy chocolate milk? What do you, <laughs> no. do you buy Oreos? <laughs> what are you buying? That's what I, I want I buy, to know. I'm, that kind I'm of a guy. very simple man when it comes to my diet. You know uh-huh. that I'm like manorexic because I, I wanted to lose weight and I did. Yeah, um, well, I've had dinner with you, though. I, you don't want to get uh, your hand in between Hannity and his fork. I just oh. want to tell everybody that. Oh um, but anyway, no, I am a, I'm a guy who believes that the public health is endangered, um, and I am going to do everything I can to make sure that the transmission is not spread by me or anybody I know. And I think that's what 90% of Americans are doing. I do it because I, when I go out and I'm outside, I find like a cloud lifts because when you're indoors too much, I hate it. And so be, just getting out, doing chores, going around, talking to people, which I do because I never shut up. But I'm like you. Um, and I want but I wear it because I want others to be safe. I ran yep. your ideas up the flagpole. Uh, I spoke with Randy Levine because uh, uh, I want Yankee Stadium to open. I want to have. I want to have people buy get tickets, um, and I think if we have temperature checks, well, let me backtrack. If everyone that works at Yankee Stadium, players, coaches, trainers, ticket takers, food handlers, all get COVID-19 tested before the game, uh, and then everybody goes through, they have these, they literally, you can walk through, it's like a turnstile temperature taker thing, and everybody has to wear masks uh, at the game, you know, he wants to open, and I mentioned you said May 15th with just no but no, no crowd at all. Yeah, I no want to get people in the seats as soon as possible, so we're on the same page, and right. safely. Uh, he liked your idea. Well, good, because it should happen. We need morale in this country. But what I said today on BillOReilly.com, it's my lead story. Uh, it's anarchy versus social distancing. And that's my lead story. I give it two more weeks, and that's all the American public is going to be able to take. And, of course, I back it up with facts. Last weekend in Orange County, 40,000 people went to the beach. Huntington Beach. Five degrees. Yep. All right, the governor told them not to. All the local officials told them not to. They went. Now, I'm not condoning it. I'm reporting it. That's anarchy. So 40,000 people said, blanket, I'm going to the beach. And blanket isn't what you sit on. It's a euphemism for another word. Um, And I saw that. I saw what happened in Michigan 
when the crazy governor there said you can't buy seeds and you can't go to your second house. And I saw what happened last night in Brooklyn when they had a funeral for a rabbi and hundreds of people showed up and didn't do anything, no distancing at all. So that tells me that we got about two more weeks of this lockdown, and then people are going to go, you know what, I've had enough, I'm going to go out, I'll be responsible, but I'm going to go out. And I really believe that's what's going to happen. I, I don't think you're wrong, but I'm going to say this, and it may surprise you. I will urge anyone that does go out to continue to wear a mask, and I'm going yeah, to tell you I why. I don't mind that, and they didn't do that in the funeral. They, Some of them they did. did. Well, most of them did at the, the funeral, movie. actually. This was a, 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 an Orthodox uh, community that lost right. a rabbi, uh, and the mayor's, like, threatening to arrest everybody. Most of the people that I saw had masks on. And I would say I didn't see anybody at Huntington Beach that had a mask on, and I didn't no. see much social distancing either. And I, they tried to shut it down; it didn't work. And I can tell you, I would urge people to wear their masks. And I'll tell you what: it's not for your sake. Probably the people, young people, you're healthy, I'm healthy, we'd be okay. But for others that we may come into contact with, if we Absolutely. get this, uh, no, I'm wearing I, it for them as long as it takes. You know, when I, I don't want the country to reach a point where the population is rebelling against the public authorities. I don't want that. So I think that everybody has to understand that the tolerance level of people not being able to leave their homes is coming to an end. And um, reality is reality. But it's going to happen so that we have to now switch, and then all of our public officials have to say, just as you said, just as you said, going out, you got to wear the mask. And it may be an inconvenience, but you got to do it for other people. And I think most Americans will respond to that. First, got to also thank you for something. And I read your piece uh, earlier this week that the press should be quarantined. Um, look, I, I said in 2007 and eight, and you referred to your in your piece with Ted Koppel. Ted Koppel, the last time I let him interview me was over an hour. He used in a minute and seven seconds, and it was edited fake news because it made him look great, and he didn't even include my answer, and it really ticked me off. Um, but anyway, I and, and I know he blames people like you and me for you know the the horror of injecting opinion into news, which is what a talk show host does. We are talk show hosts, and I uh, I found it interesting, but. Journalism's dead, Bill. We have an information crisis in the country. They are so agenda-driven now, an extension, state-run television, state-run newspapers. They're all things extreme democratic socialist, and they hate Donald Trump. And that's it. And it's 99% of them. Well, you know, you're, do you want me to talk about the, your thing with the New York Times or not? Yeah, no, I feel free. I'm, I'm, uh, right. I am very happy where I stand at this present moment, and stay tuned. Okay, so here's my take of the Hannity versus New York Times thing. Uh, what the New York Times did was irresponsible, and it was done on purpose to hurt Sean Hannity. That's where you start. It's almost exactly the same as what they did to Sarah Palin in 2017. Now, that lawsuit is set to begin on June 22nd here in New York City. Mm-hmm. All right, Palin is suing the New York Times because the Times implied that she and her political action committee were responsible for six people being gunned down in Arizona. Now, that's absurd. It's insane. But that's what the New York Times did. The New York Times will lose that lawsuit. I don't believe, I don't know how much Palin will get because she's a public figure, and very hard for public figures to get damages. Um, But 
it, it's exactly the same as what they did to you. They're ascribing a death to something that they I didn't say. I, well, I, no, I, no, no, the interesting, Bill, factually, they're wrong. That's right. They put and in their paper, and, and they were three separate times they were informed by me of my timeline. That's I am right, pr- and, they, and they ignored it, and that's yes. malice. That's the guy malice. didn't take the cruise till he took the cruise March first. They're quoting later. my comments March 9th. They are Matt, factually wrong. That's right, and you proved it because you have it on the tape. So it, it's not like he said she said. So you watch the Palin thing. If Palin wins, all right, then you're going to win because it's the same case. Now Nicholas Sandman, the high school kid in Covington. Uh, Kentucky. He's also suing the New York Times. Now, he's going he he's gonna to be a billionaire, that kid. He got millions from CNN. They won't say how much, but it's millions. Um, and he's also suing the New York Times because they did exactly the same thing to him. They tried to hurt him. And this is, we're talking about a 16-year-old kid because he wore a MAGA hat. So the newspaper tried to hurt him. That's what this all comes down to. It comes down to we want to hurt Bill O'Reilly. And for 20 years, they try to do that. We want to hurt Sean Hannity. We want to hurt Sarah Palin. We want to hurt Donald Trump. So we're going to use our power and our constitutional exceptions to do that. Once that gets into a lawsuit, then that's malice. So I hope you win. I hope you uh, expose them in a deposition where they're going to have to come in it's going to be unbelievable um, because then if, if they lie under oath, you can get them for perjury. So that's my take on it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you had the guts to do it. Most people don't. Um, and good luck. There is there's there's so much going on here at this moment right now. We're at a crossroads when you have media and there's a reason i say they're a mob because it's a mob set uh mob mindset and it's almost like who can be the most uh the biggest haters of trump no i hate 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 trump no 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 i hate 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 triple hate double hate quadruple hate trump it is you know they're all trying to out hate you know be the bigger hater and they've lost all perspective stay right there billoreilly.com all things bill o'reilly uh, quick break. By the way, we have made available uh, first edition copies of Live Free or Die, America and the World on the Brink. Mom will get for Mother's Day, especially bound uh, first edition, guaranteed delivery. Uh, you get a nice card to give mom. You can go to our website, Hannity.com, and we have it there if uh, you're looking for a present for mom for Mother's Day. Uh, and, uh, I hope, uh, I, I want this to be the definitive book about what, what 188 days means from today. All right. As we continue, simple man himself, Bill O'Reilly, BillOReilly.com for all things, uh, O'Reilly, um, 188 days, Bill, you know, I'm asking you every week, you still think it's Joe Biden and, and how do you look at his odds? Uh, the endorsement town hall with Hillary, he was falling asleep. Did you notice? <laughs> Crack me up. Um, Biden's a weak candidate. His family and the uh, power brokers inside the Democratic Party are worried about him. They're worried about his mental acuity. All of that is true. But for Donald Trump, he's got to get this pandemic under control. If he does that, and you saw what happened today in the stock market, because there's good news about a medicine, 
um, that fights the it's COVID. Called severe. We've, we've been talking about it, but it, uh, right. obviously, yeah, it's a great news on so the medicine. If Trump, if Trump can get the thing under control, so people are going back to work and the stock market is not going down anymore, even though there's going to be pain, there's no doubt, people will look to the future. Now, if it's the future of Donald Trump, who did do a uh, masterful job in the economy, and Joe Biden, who really has trouble formulating a sentence these days, then Trump, I think, will win, even though the media is going to kill him. Bill, on March 2nd, Comrade de Blasio was telling New Yorkers, oh, here's, here's my recommendations. Go out on the town. Go see a play. He was saying it March 10th. The risk is low. Uh, March 2nd, Andrew Cuomo was saying, oh, no, no, go out. You know, the risk here is low and we have the best doctors and what happened elsewhere is not going to happen here. I say this as an arrogant New Yorker. They had no ventilators. They had no hospitals. They had no gowns. They had no preparation at all. Donald Trump built all of that for them. And then the order came from Andrew Cuomo. If you have COVID-19, nursing homes have to take you back. 25% of New York deaths are from that. Your thoughts? Cuomo's got some deficits. Um, if he's the candidate, if, if Biden were to step aside, it would be Cuomo. Biden would give him all the delegates. Um, he got deficits, no doubt about it. But I'm seeing this um, through the prism of what's best for the country. And I, I think that's ill-defined now. I think we have to wait and see what the unintended consequences are of this pandemic. But Donald Trump should just step back a bit. Not, I'm glad he cut down on his press conferences, you know, the length of them. I'm glad he did that. Um, and be very precise, very, very meticulous in what he tells the American yeah, people. But I got to run BillOReilly.com, um, daily newscast, and you can sign up at BillOReilly.com uh, for his newsletter every day. He won't give me a pass. They won't even let me pay for it. I've been banned from the site. Bill, thanks for being with us. <laughs> Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right, 800-941-SHAWN. Toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, when we come back, uh, the double standard as it relates to Tara Reid and the media and the mob and the I Believer. Straight ahead. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, a, a, a staffer uh, would do, do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. Well, now, but these are the people who do come to the Lois Romanos, right? The mm-hmm. staff worker who says, I want to let you know about what's going this on, either going with my boss or the guy down the hall. I want to send a message to every survivor of sexual assault. Don't let anyone silence your voice. You have a right to be heard, and you have a right to be believed. We're with you. Not only do women like Dr. Ford, who bravely comes forward, need to be heard, but they need to be believed. They need to be believed. I just want to say to the men of this country, just shut up and step up. Do the right thing. Let me just say right at the outset, I believe Dr. Ford. I believe the survivor here. I believe her. I stand with her. And Do you hope I don't she shows she... up on Monday? Do you hope that she testifies? I don't think she should be bullied into this scenario. I believe her. Yeah, I believe Professor Ford. I think she's credible. Uh, yeah, where are all the I believers now? I believers are missing in action. And I got to tell you something. It is when you look at when you make the comparison, just make the comparison of every I believer 
in the case of Professor Ford, and then they believe Julie Swetnack, whose story collapsed, uh, the Avenatti client, and the frenzy that took place. Hillary Clinton, you know, endorsing Joe Biden. Remember, we had her on tape saying the same thing. Every woman has a right to be believed. And I'm like, really? Juanita Broderick and Kathleen Willey and Paula Jones? And you were there the whole time, and you didn't say a thing. As she's not saying a thing now about Tara Reid, and Tara Reid said that Clinton, Hillary, is enabling a sexual predator. We can't tell you the this is a full-on sexual assault. She has corroborating witnesses that she told at the time, something that Professor Ford did not have. Uh, she also had that haunting call from her mom back to Larry King in 1993, and, and it's haunting. Nobody in the media asked any of these these potential VP picks of Joe Biden because he's going to pick a woman. And they were all on the, so the Sunday shows. They're all defending Joe Biden. Stacey Abrams asked specifically, you know, saying that Joe will make women proud. Kirsten Gillibrand, another I believer. I stand by the vice president. Well, she was uh, back in 2018. When the Kavanaugh case came up and the accusers came out that had no corroborating evidence or witnesses and didn't file a police report like Tara Reid, yeah, she uh, indicated that Kavanaugh's denials didn't matter. It is rank hypocrisy. Now, I'll stay, stay where I always have, and that is simple, that people have are innocent until proven guilty. You do have a presumption of innocence, but every, any allegation, you got to take it seriously. Anyway, Tracy Melkor is uh, with us, and she is an actress, entertainer. Uh, she does a lot of movies now. She's best known, one of her big roles was One Life to Live, The Bold and the Beautiful, Sunset Beach. She wrote the book Breaking the Perfect Ten and is now the writer and director of a documentary that she's working on. Uh, and Tracy, it's good to have you back. How are you? Hi, Sean. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. What are your thoughts, because there's such a dramatic difference in terms of what Tara Reid has in terms of witnesses, corroboration, the haunting call, a police report versus, say, Professor Ford or Julie Swetnick and all the I believers in the Kavanaugh case. Pretty rank hypocrisy for me. Yeah, it's quite a contrast. And I like you. I am firmly against people making false accusations for um, their own self-interest. I, I, I think that dilutes and um, undermines people who have legit concerns or complaints of sexual assault. So I'm with you on that. However, I agree with you in the difference is these were things that were not only, you know, there's some record of it, but I think the other difference is, you know, you have to look at motivation. And when I look at someone is motivated to come forward just to corroborate someone else and back her up, you know, she said that she thought she should come forward because she saw Lucy Flores being attacked and being discredited and questioned. And to me, that is what women should do. You know, that is exactly, you know, the beautiful way to come forward rather than it's just like out of the blue, he's running for office. I don't like him. And now I'm going to try and smear him. She wasn't coming forward for that. She was coming forward to defend another woman. I think that we should be applauding that. I mean, I know for me, and the reason you're talking to me today is because I have experience in this as a victim of one myself. Had I had the power in numbers, if I heard, you know, and maybe I should have been the first one to come forward on some of these men. I wish I was brave enough. But if I had and other women would have come, that would have empowered me. You know, when you're a lone ranger and you're 
marching on the playground by yourself, that's much harder. And this is what women should do. So I'm, I'm applauding Tara Reid for her motivation for coming forward to defend another woman. They're weaponizing this issue. And if somebody, you're right, if they make a false allegation, I, I followed the Duke lacrosse case closely, yeah. the UVA case closely. Behind the scenes, I met with the, some of the families and the kids in the Duke lacrosse case. There were professors, you know, almost 100 of them, writing that uh, these kids need to be thrown out of school. They, they basically proclaimed them guilty. In the end, every one of those kids was able to produce evidence uh, an entry time into a dorm, uh, an ATM machine withdrawal, whatever it happened to be, mm-hmm. that they that proved their innocence. It ended up falling apart, but not before all the damage was done. We see this rush to judgment a lot. We saw it with Darren Wilson, Ferguson. We saw it Cambridge Police. Mm-hmm. We saw it Richard Jewell. We saw it UVA, Duke Lacrosse. Um, in the case of Justice Kavanaugh, I mean the Julie Swetnick. Uh, like every other weekend, these kids would throw parties. They'd spike the punch. Uh, the girls would pass out. They'd line up in a hall, again, almost every other weekend, and they would, you know, gang rape these girls. And then it became, well, I never saw him spike the punch ball. I saw him near the punch ball. Well, I never saw him give a girl a drink. He held the red solo cup. Well, he wasn't lined up in the hall, but I saw him standing in a hall. And if and this was the Avenatti guy, because it can be so damaging to make an allegation that is false. Now, in some cases, all of it is true. When I interviewed Juanita Broderick, I had to bite my, my cheek to, to keep from being emotional because I, I, I believed her, looked her in the eye, and I just she oozed just credibility. And remember, Lisa Myers, when NBC was spiking the story, said that she made a call to Juanita Broderick, well, I have a problem with NBC airing the tape because uh, you're too credible. That was, those were her words. So it's a fine line we're talking about here because of the seriousness of the allegation. And to say, just uh, give a blanket, I believe, is different than I will listen and look at the facts. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because you talk about, like, the Duke lacrosse team, and it was like they were guilty before proven innocent. Yet, you know, you've got Biden where they're like, no, we can't even look because he's running for office. When you have the Time's Up movement, you know, and this legal defense fund, refusing to look into this because they say they have legal constraints because he's running for office. I mean, I don't understand why running for office gives you immunity. And should it? I mean, we really need this. Well, is it really running for office, Tracy, or is it if you're a Republican or a conservative running for office? Uh, That to me is that's what speaks volumes here. But the only reason the I believers aren't believing is because he's a Democrat. Well, I'm curious. What about when you talked about um, what was the Oh Juanita gosh, Broderick? I forget the girl. No, the one recently that um, Stormy, Julie, what's her name? Oh, Stormy Daniels. Yeah, Stormy, Stormy, yeah. Stormy, Stormy. By the way, did and she, she never said it was up? anything but consensual, so we can start there. Right. Did she get any Time's Up money or defense or? No idea. No, but she never She never made an accusation of an assault either. That's true, but they And do, look at the like, coverage. This, yeah, completely. Exactly. And Look at Justice Kavanaugh. Again, there was no corroboration. Right. No, no witnesses that confirm stories. There was no police report. Tara Reid has all of that on steroids. Yeah, and then so the call by her mom. Investigation, full investigation in that, right? And yet I watched this interview with Stacey Abrams, and she's like, well, the New York Post did a little, you know, blurb on it, and they decided it wasn't. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's, that's all we need? 
is an article and they did a little journalism and that's how our, our legal system runs now. It's frightening, but you know, the time's up thing really kind of bums me out because so many people donated so much money, you know, and you look at like their, their mission statement about defending, you know, and we got you this whole thing, like yeah, hashtag, I got you tell the other story back other women. And then to tell one woman, yeah, you don't count because of who your accuser is. You know, I, I just, our judicial system, like you said, like if this was a, a black guy who was a soccer coach, they would defend her. But if it's a white guy running for office, they won't. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you square that up? Unfortunately, it, it's sort of like, and everybody attacked me saying that I referred to the coronavirus as a hoax when I did just the opposite. On January 27th, the first case in the U.S. was January 21st, identified case of corona, and I had Dr. Fauci on January 27th on Hannity, my television show, asking him questions about how serious this virus is. And I had him back on February 10th. On, on January 28th, I had a panel of doctors, and I'm asking, what about these asymptomatic people that we keep hearing about that might be infecting everybody, and they're walking around for days and days, maybe week, and don't know they have it? That bothers me, and I was very, I was on top of it from day one. And at mm -hmm. some point, when I hear people say, oh, Trump's Chernobyl, uh, Trump's Katrina, or the New York Times toilet paper saying uh, that it's the Trump virus, and if you're feeling uh, awful, you know who to blame. I said, yeah, oh, this is their new hoax. This is their new weaponization of her Trump, and I was right. But then they ignore all of what I said that they weren't saying. The New York Times toilet paper actually uh, had said February 4th or 5th, uh, after the president put the travel ban in effect January 31st, 10 days after the first case, they said, who says it's not safe to travel to China? Wow. Mm -hmm. I wonder if anyone took their advice, and I wonder what happened. Well, one thing I've learned recently, Sean, is people don't want to know the truth. They only want to know what makes what they believe true. And everything else is discounted, discredited, and they just focus on what proves what they believe. And it's kind of sad where we've gotten to in this country. We need to be more willing to, like, open our eyes and hear other sides and not immediately discredit people based on, you politics. know, their politics. It's all, it's, exactly. it's, they, they've now politicized it. It's all in the political realm. How old were you when this happened to you? Oh, first time I was sexually assaulted was at 16. And oh. then, but... You know, I was looking at the Tara Reid stuff, and it was 1993, and ironically, that's when I was here in Hollywood and trying to make my break, and that's when adult sexual assault, which would be more related to what we're talking about here, that's when I was exposed to more of the, the big producers and directors and um, sexual assault here. We gotta, every person has to know how to protect themselves, and... Uh, we have to teach our daughters. We have to, you know, teach all the women in our life how to be safe and secure. And all these predators that are out there, uh, they only need to be put in jail. You want to know why I'm not a Catholic anymore? I'm not a Catholic because the corruption from the local church, parish, through the diocese, through the bishops, through the cardinals to Rome covered it up. I can't I yeah. can't I can't ignore that truth. I'm, so, I'm a Christian. I believe all the thing. I love the mass, believe in it. But I, but I, I institutionally, 
why did they put in a rule 1,100 years into the church uh, that priests can't marry when 11 of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose were married? It's institutionalized it corruption. I refused, and they're not. Yeah. They're still not fixing it. It's the same thing here. It's it's now. It's the you know protect protect your political party at all costs. Sad. Same thing. It's a cover up. The cover up to protect and you know something. Tara Reid said in her thing, and you talk about educating young women. And yeah. one of the things that was said to her after she you know denied the advances, um, or not denied them, uh, uh, refused the advances. Uh, he, she said Biden told him, told her that you're nothing. Yes, and she did say that. That really, yeah. that struck a chord with me. Uh, I got to run. Tracy Melchior, great to uh, talk to you. Congrats on, I guess you're working on this documentary with your dad. And we look forward to uh, uh, hearing it. Thank you so much. It's called Monochrome. Oh. Okay, appreciate it. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Amazing Hannity tonight at 9. We'll tell you more straight ahead. All right, Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern Foxes. We are loaded up tonight. We're going to look at the economy. We're going to look at China. We're going to look at Remdesivir with Dr. Oz. Uh, the politics, oh, Nancy and Steny don't want to ever come back. We'll only open up the country, but they'll never work, which may not be a bad thing. Uh, we'll have that. Oh, Dennis Miller tonight. Our Ari Fleischer tonight. Larry Kudlow tonight. Gordon Chang on China tonight. Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy. We're loaded up. 9 Eastern, set your DVR, Hannity. Yeah, set your DVR, please. Fox News, we'll see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. As always, thanks for being with us.